Hello and welcome to The Naked Podcaster. I'm Jen. And today I am so excited, Patricia, to have you on. Pronounce your last name for me. Caginello. See, I would have messed it up. And I knew I was going to okay. mess it up. <laughs> so thank you for that. No problem. Your website is sacredstoriespublishing.com. Everything will be mm -hmm. in the show notes. But I love what you're doing because as an author, you want to have resources to help publish. And you, I, I want you to jump in and tell us about what you do, but you have so many services and I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Sacred Stories, thank you. SacredStoriesPublishing.com. We also have SacredStoriesMedia.com. And, you know, it really is an evolution of my personal story. And the reason Sacred Stories Publishing specifically kind of was born about three and a half years ago was as a direct response to my experience as an author. You know, about eight years ago, kind of took the proverbial leap jumped off the cliff and started my spiritual journey and I wrote my first book and I was this stuff just downloaded it was just one of those crazy experiences people talk about sat in bed for four days wrote my first book and couldn't get it out there fast enough I just knew Oprah was going to be calling me on the phone in a month I'd be traveling the world you know everybody would know my name and uh, I was going to I was going to save the world because this was a phenomenal story and everyone needed to hear it and it is true, it's a phenomenal story, and I still think everyone needs to hear it. But, you know, a month went by, two months, six months, whatever, Oprah wasn't calling, but really, or hasn't called yet. But what really happened was I was so excited, I was so open-hearted, my soul was wide open because of my life experiences that propelled me on my spiritual journey that I really realized, even as a successful um a woman in corporate America and a, a successful educator, a mom, you know, I was taken big time in the world of self-publishing. I couldn't get my book out there fast enough. So I went directly to one of the largest self-publishing consciousness, self-publishing companies there is, spent about $15,000, got told everything that any open-hearted, soul-bearing person would just, you know, gravitate to and listen to and believe. Um, and turned around and said, what the heck just happened? How did that happen? And how do you show up as a, a company talking about consciousness and selling consciousness books and all of these things and act so out of consciousness or integrity? Um, so that was a big like, whoa, what happened? And then, you know, life continued actually with my second book to get another phenomenal story. And I was picked up by a a small press publisher and that didn't have a good experience either and that person was acting out of integrity and doing a lot of things that actually they ended up being sued not by me but by a number of people so I turned around you know five years into my journey and I was like wow you know there's a lot going on and um <clears throat> and what I realized was there are some definitely some publishers out there that act with integrity that are publishing books of consciousness, but they're, they're not enough. They're not enough for the amount of people and stories and, and you know, beautiful books that are being written. So I, so Sacred Stories Publishing actually is a, um, is a response to offering um, more opportunities for authors and people of consciousness to share their wisdom and share their stories. I didn't know that. That's mm -hmm. fantastic. As mm. an author myself, I understand. <laughs> I I didn't think Oprah was going to call me, but I <laughs> <laughs> I thought this is a good story and I want people to read it and have it make a difference in their lives. Mm -hmm. But if you don't get it out enough, people yeah. aren't reading it. And so I felt torn between like, it feels like I'm running for prom queen to gain popularity, you know, so I can get the book out at the same time. If you are, if you don't have those numbers and you don't have people, no mm -hmm. one's reading it. So I felt like I was on this hamster wheel of not knowing how to market it and getting it out there. And then at the same time, I didn't want to be that person that was blasting everyone in my popularity contest, right. you know? Right. And so, but so that's exactly, but that's, so that's what happens there and where the snake charmers are just can come right in because, you know, you have people that are really showing up open-hearted, 
you know, genuine, authentic people. And they don't know the ropes. They don't know the industry. Um, and, and they, they're trusting others to, you know, to help them. And so in that way, this entire industry has really, um, evolved tremendously for a number of reasons you know some people will say ebooks did it or um you know self-publishing absolutely has revolutionized the, the publishing industry um just the way we connect as human beings has revolutionized the publishing industry but so what's happened there is there's all these opportunities um for people to have these amazing stories, which is a great thing. So self-publishing in that sense is wonderful because that's great, right? Like everybody can write the book and everybody can publish. And then the other hand, the not so great thing is everybody can write their book and everybody can publish because what used to be a forest is now like, you know, the Amazon, right? And, and you know, no pun intended to Amazon, which is the largest <laughs> seller in the world. I don't know where that came from, but everybody's out there. So there's this massive forest and you're the tree saying like, hey, pay attention to me and and it's a lot and it takes a lot of energy it doesn't feel good all the time social media where a lot of it is playing out doesn't feel good a lot of the time and so what happens is you know in my opinion um there needs to be more opportunities i have so many people that come to me like the wounded authors or you know people literally have second mortgage their homes to pay for coaching or things that people tell them are going to fix it for them and then they walk away you know what happens Jen it's really really frustrating and upsetting to me because they what they tell people and they walk away from them and they say well it's not us it's you you're wasn't that good you're not that interesting you know you gotta you, you know you have more work to do and if you buy this next thing I can I'll help you more so it's just kind of frustrating but on the on the flip side and the good, the other side of it, other companies, other people are really, truly conscious companies are starting to really show up and say, no, it's not okay. We can do this different. We can do this better. We can do this with more integrity. Um, and um, to be able to support people like yourself and the truly millions of others that, you know, that are coming from an authentic place and just want to be of service. It's really overwhelming because in the book writing process, if if the statistic is the same that 85% of people who want to write a book don't, mm -hmm. you're overwhelmed with just the writing process, just getting the book in print on your Word document. And there's so much more after that. When I I remember <laughs> I remember asking my editor, like, how many more one more thing is are there going to be <laughs> like right. oh and here's one more thing and I'm like okay there's been like 31 more things it seems like and right. and you learn things like what's an ISBN because I self-publish and on the other side of that the great thing is that maybe if you know about it going into it it'll be less overwhelming and maybe mm -hmm. it will be more but at least you're armed with the information and mm -hmm. it's not impossible because all these people have done it but geez to have support would be so huge mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, and when I, when I got through that process and I had my book in my hands, I was like, I would love to help everyone that wants to do this, get through this process because it's mm -hmm. so much more difficult than you think. But, and you did, you, you're the one that went through it twice and then you well, did. Fortunate, well, this is, I'm on my fourth book, but right. I helped dozens of other people as, you know, as well. And after the second book, you is when you open the publishing company. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, I it, mm -hmm. it I mean it's a, it is astounding, and you are so spot on. I'm glad to know that about your story because you're right. There there are people that just want to get the book out, and we don't you don't know what you don't know, and right. so you don't realize that people are preying on you. And I did it completely without any of that, and on mm -hmm. as much of a shoestring as I could. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for that because I didn't get drawn into a snake right. charmer, but at the same time, I didn't get, it, it, no one knew about the book either. Mm -hmm. Well, nobody really knew that much about my book either. You know, like um, after I spent 10,000 on the publishing part of it and what was unfortunate and when I'm saying it's not even like, well, I spent 10,000, I spent 10,000 because of what they said I was receiving. Yeah. I didn't receive what they said I was going to receive, you know, things, uh, were written in ways that gave the impression of something that they weren't. I'll give you an example. One of the 
examples of why I spent so much money was <clears throat> supposed to be like a 500,000 person email list the book was going to go out to. And I was like 500,000 people. Oh my God. You know, just by what statistics, I'm going to be selling thousands of copies. Of course this makes sense. I'll spend this money. Turns out, <clears throat> it wasn't really 500,000. It was a purchase list that most of them were undeliverable um, or marked as spam. Um, and, and the only reason I know this is because I kept asking, can I please see the email you've sent for me? I'm, you know, I'm on your list. Please put me on your list. And, and after numerous phone calls and stuff, because I kept saying, I don't understand what's happening. You know, it turns out that it's not their list. It's not engaged, active book readers of consciousness books that are waiting to hear the next greatest book. Right. It's a God knows how many emails, you know, just were just bounced and, you know, were never delivered either. And I was like, wait a minute, like, that's not what you said. You said it was a list of 500,000 emails of people that were going to get my book. In the scheme of things, is it you know, six to one, half a dozen of another, not, you know, not really, not when you are investing a tremendous amount of money because you believe what yeah. they're saying they're going to provide, they're going to provide. And that was just one example of, of all the different things that were like, kind of like what they said, but not exactly what they said, right? So then um, I spent 5000 on a publicist for one month, because again, they told me with my giant wide open heart, you know, you really should do everything you can do. If you believe in your book, if you believe in yourself, you've got to give it a hundred percent, give it 101%. You need to have somebody mark, you know, be a publicist. I have no idea what was supposed to happen. A month goes by. I received um, no interviews, <laughs> nothing. And I said, I, I, I don't, I don't understand what just happened. Like I paid you $5,000 to help me, you know, get word out about the book. And they said, well, we guess you're just not that interesting. Oh. We did what we did it. So we did our job, oh. have a nice life. And oh. I was like, I'm sorry, what just happened again? And so, you know, not to split hairs, but I think it's very important because, you know, what walks like a duck and talks like a duck may not necessarily be a duck. Right. And, um, and when you, when you are a person and I am a person of integrity, and if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And if I say it's a duck, it's going to be a freaking flock of ducks. If that's what happens with ducks, do they flock? I don't even I know. I don't know. Maybe. This, if I tell you it's a geese, it's going to be a flock of right. geese. Yeah. A gaggle of geese. It's going to be a gaggle of geese. Yeah. Um, so yeah. when, when you're in a situation that then, then you're like, wait a minute, how do you sleep at night? Like I would yeah. literally like email one of the people and said, honest to God, I don't know how you sleep at night because for me, it was a financial hit. Yeah, which is was not a you know a small penny, but for others, I have people come to me all the time still, Jen, that say I've second mortgaged my house, I've maxed out credit cards, I am in financial difficulty, and I need help. So could you do this all for me for free now? Because I got so taken by these other companies, and, I, and I'm like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm really yeah. sorry, I really can't do it for free, um, because you know we pay people, but. Um, but it's, I, I'm not unique. I wasn't the only person, you know what I mean? And that's what upsets me. And that's why I get so frustrated and I'm making such a big deal out of it right now is because it's still happening and people are still being taken advantage of. And that's not okay. No, it's it. not. And I had actually, well, one, I had lost my job and my husband looked at me and said, we can, we're fine for the next few months why don't you not work for a while and write the book you've always talked about? And I actually, at that point had to decide, am I the person that talks about wanting to write a book, but never does? Or am I actually the person that talks about writing the book and does it? And I decided I was, but I felt so, I felt like I had been given this amazing gift of time to do it. So I wasn't quite as fast as you, but I wrote the book in two months and it took two more months for it to be released. And I, I, I took a total of about four and a half months off of work, but that did something. It meant our bills were covered, but not only was I given this gift of time, we lost my income. Mm -hmm. So I was fortunate in the sense that I didn't have the ability 
to max out a credit card or second more like that was not happening so i didn't have the five thousand or ten thousand or twenty and i know i and i heard stories about it and that was the other thing even if i had the money how in the world was i going to know that that was the right place to put that money mm -hmm. The bad news is I got no marketing and no PR, but the good news is I didn't get bad marketing or PR that I paid for. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's, I mean, like I, I was better off because mm -hmm. no, I, I didn't know how to market myself. So I did really poorly at it, but I wasn't out any of that money. Like you were like so many people are, it makes me so angry because it, it's so much work to get right. this done and then to be taken oh, advantage of. So writing book two, I'm, I, I have my guard. Well, again, I'm not putting in $20,000 or paying someone or, you know, so yes, you should be paid for what you're doing. But I always felt like it doesn't need to be this astronomical amount of money. And it makes me furious mm -hmm. that the person can look at you and go, well, I did my part. It must be that you're not interesting. Right, Your book's just right. not that good. It's just not that good. The, um, you know, what's interesting is, you know, experience is the best teacher, right? So this was my part of my spiritual journey. It was all because of my kind of opening to something greater than myself, you know, outside of a religious context. And so um, I don't, I don't, even though it's, I know it's frustrating because I know it's still happening to people. And I know that um, people show up with a lot of skepticism because, you know, everybody's a bad guy you know, in publishing now, you know, you can go on some, some of these groups out there and they are just slamming any kind of publisher in any way at all. I mean, we all have a really bad rep and, and it's not actually really fair, right? But everybody right. is getting slammed. So, but experience is the best teacher. And so I could not um, have created Sacred Stories Publishing. I wouldn't have any level of understanding knowledge or wherewithal of how I would want to do it differently if you know truly honestly if I wasn't on the other side of it and so I don't um it's not a regret thing it's more just a, you know fool me once fool me twice you know and I and I have choices I have choices of how I'm going to respond and and how I chose to respond was to create sacred stories publishing and and do it differently you know. I'm so thankful. I am so thankful because you know there are people out there. I, I mean, I know no matter whether it's coaching, whatever whatever job title you put in there that has a lot of potential negativity surrounding it, like not every coach is like that. Not other, every publisher is like that. But you do need to take a moment and figure out who who is and who is not and so i'm so thankful let's talk about your journey before this because this mm -hmm. your experience launched this but there's usually a pre-story there's a pre-story oh, there's always a pre-story that's <laughs> why there's millions of books published a year um, yeah. so i you know my pre-story you know i was the kind of the quintessential um mainstream soccer mom married two kids four cats and a dog you know living in suburbia and you know, kind of doing life. And I, you know, I thought I was doing it pretty well. I didn't really think about much. Um, very, you know, very faith-based, very deep faith. I don't know if I'd say very religious, but very deep faith. Um, and I tell the story the year I turned 50. Uh, I went through an unexpected divorce, um, pulled the rug right out from under me, unexpected divorce, sunk into a major depression, which was, again, something that was very unusual. Um, um, went through menopause uh, <laughs> while raising two teenage daughters going through puberty, which, you know, there's a reason we think we're supposed to have our children when we're in our 20s and not yeah. our 30s. Because uh, menopause and puberty, when they, when they collide, oh dear God, you know, that's a story. And then, um, you know, and then I left my, my, my career to follow my spiritual journey because I literally spent more time, I say, on the bedroom floor in a heap then, you know, upright, you know, doing, you know, I was functioning. But when I wasn't, when I had any moment at all, I just, you know, I fell apart because it was interesting. And nobody was more surprised than me because I, you know, I didn't expect that response from me. But I, but I believe that we honestly, I honestly do 
uh, know that we create the most perfect of triggers for ourselves, the most perfect of circumstances, right? And so this was my perfect circumstance because to have my husband of, you know, 18 plus years, the one I thought was my, the one, the one I trusted completely, the one that I, you know, was my person, right? Um, even though I knew that the relationship wasn't the best, I just thought we were on one of those like up and down waves that married people go through or something we, you know, you do, you go up, you go down. I just thought we were on a down cycle. So when I approached him and said, you know, Hey, like, I don't think we're as close as I think we should be as married people should be. I felt like we couldn't ignore it anymore. I'd actually, let's talk about it. You know, his response was basically, I'm so glad you brought it up. I haven't loved you for a long time. I, you know, I don't love you. I haven't loved you for a long time. And, you know, basically it was just pretending. It was going through the motions. And if I had never said anything, he would we'd probably still be married. Honestly, he would never have had the courage to speak his truth. And I was just like, I'm sorry. What, what did you just say? Because, you know, it was like, it just, it wasn't what I was expecting. And it just... You know, I talk about how we all have wounds and, you know, we have scabs over our wounds and, you know, I had wounds I didn't even realize I had. And until the, the scabs got ripped right off of them and, and found myself in bed and floor. So when I reached out for help, I was reaching out for, to my angels, to any way that I just was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know why I feel so bad. I don't understand what's really happening because I was always a strong one. Um, and so I started reaching out and there and started the spiritual experiences and my spiritual journey. And, and, you know, and it all started, it all started for there. And that's how I know, um, the open hearted, you know, wide open, wanting to just be of service or help others. Because when you go through experiences that you're feeling such, you know, depth of, of, of personal pain, you know, um, when you're kind of coming out on the other side, you know, you want to share in the hope of helping other people. And uh, so that was the beginning. That was the beginning of the journey. That was the beginning of the books and, you know, and everything that has followed. What was the reaction of the kids? You have, I mean, you had mm -hmm. two teeny, I, it, there's your reaction, the fact that you still parent, mm -hmm. where did he go? How did you split time? And how did that all and holy cow i can't believe you asking is the only reason he said so. that's so yeah. sad to me yeah yeah it, it it is was very sad as well to me in the sense and you know over the years i mean you know we are friends now and um and we were always able to kind of co-parent i think at least the two of us if nothing else we had and understanding that it really wasn't about us. It was, you know, it was about doing what was best for the kids. Um, but yeah, it is interesting. And he actually had a pretty difficult time after the divorce as well. He went through some stuff himself. Um, and I think it's because again, I feel like he, yes, he was so out of his truth. He was going along for so long that um, even then, I think sometimes when you get what you ask for, you know, it doesn't feel that good either. So, um, um, yeah, no, it was a really difficult time. So the kids were already in high school. So we didn't, you know, <clears throat> we didn't split time. The kids lived with me. They could see him whenever they wanted to. It was, I was thankful for the, in the sense that the kids were old enough that, you know, we're lucky to see them anyway, because they were teenagers, you know, they were like, what do you mean? I have, to, I have to go spend time, you know? So um, it, it, it was relatively normal like that. One of the things that I have been conscious of and, and I think uh, was important to me was I have two daughters and I know that the relationship with their dad is important. And he didn't become an absentee father, but it's interesting. It seems, at least through conversations, that sometimes men initially after a, a divorce can go one of two ways. And, and some of them, as much as they may be a loving father, and there's no doubt that he loves, you know, loves his kids and still loves his kids, they, they just don't show up. As, as the same as a mom shows up sometimes, you know? So my concern was that they saw him enough, you know, that they felt valued and loved and as, as young women, that their experience, you know, with their dad was a positive one, actually.
That's great. I mean, if things are going to end at the very least, that that part's great. And you're right. It is important. I always think it's interesting because I'm divorced also. You know, when things split, this is the person that you loved enough to marry and stay married to and have children with. So I never understood the desire to badmouth them. <laughs> Like that's only a reflection on you because you right. actually chose them for that whole length of time. Mm -hmm. And if you're willing to have kids with them, unless there's something specific, a reason that the kids shouldn't spend time with them, mm -hmm. it, they, then they should. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I've never understood. So I'm really glad because it doesn't always go that way. It can be ugly. Yeah. I do also love that you said, you know, you get what you ask for. It is really comfortable to stay in a situation that you're not happy in because it's familiar and your fear of stepping out of that comfort zone. I mean, I think people stay in bad situations mm -hmm. or situations they're unhappy in because they may not like it, but the fear of the unknown is more frightening than just hunkering down and staying through it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. Now. Okay. So it's not your personality to be on your floor in depression. So take no. me a little bit. <laughs> no. Because you mentioned wasn't. that. Uh, right. It wasn't. You know, I say my divorce taught me empathy because I was, you know, always the person that, not that I didn't think I didn't have empathy. I didn't even I think I'm a very nice person and I care about people a lot. Um, but I was, I'm also a former Marine Corps sergeant. So, you know, I was, the, you know, the people that would just be like, you know, put those big girl pants on and let's just get moving you know I'd be like it's a relationship get over it you know I mean I I just crazy you know things that I would be thinking but and it wasn't that I didn't care about people I just didn't had never experienced I think again you know that level of a trigger and so it's interesting because if we want to talk like divorce stories like this I think is really for the women and men listening and if they've ever had a relationship kind of go south. Um, I found this really interesting. I think this is, you know, when I was thinking about talking with you today, this is really what kept coming up for me that I wanted to share. So <clears throat> I remember like maybe it was like five, six, seven, eight years, seven years after my divorce, I was on like a spiritual trip, right? With a group. And I was talking with two other women who seemed to be divorced and they wanted to talk about divorce stories. And I was like, so taken with that. I was like thinking, wow, you know, I think I've been divorced long enough. I'm not, I don't do the divorce story any longer, but okay, you know, like I can do the divorce story. So everybody was gonna tell their divorce story. And what was the biggest thing that I took out of it was every woman had a different divorce story. So who had the person that was dating a younger woman and she felt that she was old and not, you know, of, of sexy enough or anything any longer who's had the husband that you know cheated on them and then who had somebody like myself who just completely just like uh you know pulled the rug out and just you know it's like just outright rejection in a way that was my trigger but as i was listening to the other divorce stories what i was thinking was not that i wouldn't have been hurt but we all had the very most perfect trigger for what would have wounded us the most you know what i mean yeah i don't care about younger women i'm not i don't feel that i'm in you know like i am you know uh affected that way by younger women in that sense and if somebody i was with was dating a young woman i'd be like yeah, you're just not who I thought you, you know, it wouldn't have affected me as deeply, I guess what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. What I've realized, Jen, in this conversation with the women was, you know, when we can move to kind of like that observer state, you know, and I'm looking and I'm observing us and I'm like, how perfect that each of us have our perfect story. We have our perfect wound and it all goes back to something that's obviously very core to us. So not to compare traumas, but I think what impedes us a lot is that we compare traumas and we don't allow ourselves maybe to feel or to dig as deeply as we should or could to heal how we're really feeling because the trauma maybe wasn't as bad as somebody else or we shouldn't be feeling that bad. I mean, I grew up in a family that said, you know, what are you crying about? And, you know, if you're crying, well, I'll give you something to cry about because you were never, you could never validate your feelings, right? So the idea of divorce and what it does, it's one trauma, it's one pain, it's one 
thing that could open those woundings. There's many different ways that people experience wounds, you know, or experience the triggers. Um, so, um, so mine was very much tied to a, a core wounding in childhood, which, you know, everybody's is, and it almost sounds cliche, but it's cliche and it's not cliche because there's a, there's a real truth in that. And, um, and it took me a long time to get to that truth because I was, I was denying my level of trauma and pain because I thought, well, it's not as bad as others. So maybe I, sh you know, I don't really have a right to feel it. I don't have a right to validate it. There's nothing there. Um, and, and so I think it's important. I think it's important that it doesn't matter what kind of puts you down that rabbit hole or turns you upside down and shook you and left you on the bedroom floor in a heap. Um, it's, it's important because it was the trigger. And then the next thing is where do you, where do you go from there? Which is a great point. And I wonder sometimes, I know you're right about the baggage. So in my divorce, I just felt like I wasn't worth it because that's my baggage from being a kid, right? That mm -hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't worth it for my parents. And now I'm not worth it from, from you. And, you know, I could be in a lot of scenarios and still have that same feeling. So I wonder in that perfect wound, how much we set ourselves up for that because i mean clearly i could have been in a dozen different situations and felt not worth it mm -hmm. so it wasn't necessarily the situation it was that that was my trigger so you did right. something that emotionally triggered me and i tied it to my biggest trigger or or what i believe is it 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 it, it, it the names don't matter the people mm -hmm. don't matter the, the the situations almost don't matter the ideas or the concept is it's the experience the emotion and the experience that happens so whether you did it through a divorce or maybe through a job or maybe through a and multiple of scenarios, I believe what we do is we create the experiences mm -hmm. until we get to the result that we're actually ultimately looking for. We really are, I and mean, we are our own best orchestrators, right? And so yeah. whether we're consciously or subconsciously doing it, we're going to do it. You know, I tell people, you know, they, they worry about, well, what if I don't meet the one? I'm like, well, there isn't the one. There's many. And, you know, yeah. whether it's Paul or Harry or Mary or joy it doesn't matter because not that there isn't a special person and some people might be more special than others or maybe there's not a great career or a job that maybe is better than others but everything honestly is so interchangeable it's the experience that we are creating that's going to allow us an opportunity to make a you know make a choice um or have an experience that will propel us in a direction does that make sense? Yes. So divorce was just the way that it happened to play out. But if it didn't play out in a divorce, maybe it would have been a sickness. Maybe it would have right. been a loss of a parent. Maybe it would have been a myriad of scenarios that we we have the ability to experience, you know, in this lifetime. You're blindsided by this experience. This was your experience. Mm -hmm. And you find yourself on the floor coming from a family and a, a background where you don't cry you don't show it and i know that you went on this spiritual journey but how like how at what point do you realize i'm on the floor and that's not where i want to be yeah. and i'm I, this is clearly a trigger and i need to do something about it yeah so it's interesting i a lot was happening i mean a lot was happening yeah. but but i was to the point that i felt um that it didn't really matter whether I was in this lifetime or not. You know, I was really going down the rabbit hole of, you know, not feeling that I had any value, not feeling that, you know, even if people loved me, they just didn't love me enough. It was all about, for me, it was always about the enough. Um, and even my kids, you know, I remember sitting there thinking, well, everybody has somebody. So I'm really not that important. Like I could leave, I could, exit this lifetime and everybody'd be okay because I didn't really have that much value. You know, I was really going, I was thinking fast. And and even my kids, I was thinking, well, they have their father, 
or they have my sister who is like a second mom to them, or they have whatever. I was, I was figuring it all out. And I remember sitting at the kitchen table one day and um, feeling like shit, you know, just feeling like, okay, like maybe this is a real, something I really need to do because I was making everybody miserable around me. I couldn't seem to get myself out of this. And I just figured everybody would be better off if I no longer existed. And um, I remember sitting there and my younger daughter, Megan, you know, was like, mom, what's, you know, what's going on? So in, you know, in my great parenting that I was doing, I spill out to my then 14 year old, you know, I just, you know, I really don't think like it matters if I'm here anymore or not or something like that. And she was like, what are you talking about? You could tell she was immediately starting to panic. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, and I, and I explained it to her. I said, you know, yeah, you know, I just, I just don't think I'm really that important enough to anybody. Everybody has somebody, you know, I just kind of explained my thinking. And my daughter was like, mom, what are you talking about? She goes, what about me? She goes, aren't I important enough? You know, and I was like, well, you have your father, you have, you know, your aunt, you know, I was telling all this stuff because again, I wasn't thinking of her. I was just thinking of the pain I was in. And she was like, but you're my mom, you're my mom. And what about me? And that's all she kept saying is what about me? And in her words, I heard my pain and I realized, shit, like, this is my daughter feeling what I'm feeling and I'm creating the situation because I'm thinking I'm not enough for anybody and I'm considering exiting this lifetime. And she's saying, well, what about me? I'm not enough. Am I not enough for you to stick around for? And I knew in that moment that regardless that I was staying, that I wasn't going to choose differently because I would not, I would, because my daughter was enough and we're all enough, you know, we just, you know, we just are. So, um, so at that point, you know, I, I just, you know, I just knew that I needed to, you know, do some things differently. And, and, and again, that's when kind of the universe kind of showed up and, I've written books about it, but you know, the animals started coming, the angels started coming, like all kinds of things started coming and in support because I was like, okay, you know, I really need some help and I'm asking for help. And it's interesting. Wow. To your daughter. <laughs> I mean, good for her. And how did that affect the relationship with you moving forward with her? We have a phenomenal relationship. We really do. She is just, uh, you know, <clears throat> you know. I do say that I, I do believe that I'm here today because of her, honestly, and not to put that burden on her, and I don't put it on her, but I know in my heart, if it wasn't for her, and if it wasn't for her joy and her love and her, her just being who she is, um, you know, I wouldn't be here. So um, we have a tremendous relationship and she is, uh, she's good. No, she's great. I mean, she's one of those people that just make this world, you know, a, a, a place you want to be. Gosh, I love that. And good for you for recognizing the pain mirrored in her because that's a, that's a big deal. My stepmom committed suicide. So it's hard when people, the people who are left behind that just like, I just don't understand. I thought she was great. I loved her. I thought we had a good relationship and she had plenty to live for. So the people left behind that are completely baffled. Like, why would you want to do this? Was I not, wasn't it enough? Wasn't it great for you too? And that's fortunately that you didn't take those steps to do that because yeah, as someone left behind in the aftermath of that, it's very confusing mm -hmm. and really lonely and very sad. You, uh, you realize in that moment that you need help, which yeah, we all do. <laughs> so <laughs> you put it out of the universe. I need help. And so right. tell me about the shift. It must've happened pretty quickly. I mean, your daughter's conversation could have gotten you really, really far in that. 
but what else started to happen? Because I imagine it started to happen quick, quickly. Well, I, I, I started reaching out and I started, um, a lot of things were happening. And, um, you know, I started looking for different experiences. I was always very tied with the angels. I was looking for greater understanding. Um, actually enrolled in seminary. I'm an ordained interfaith minister. I wanted to study. I wanted to understand. I wanted a greater understanding of kind of this framework of life, you know, and, um, and I knew that I was raised Roman Catholic and not that my, my faith, I think, sustained me only to a point. And then I knew that I needed to, I needed more. And so that's where I, I reached out. I, I enrolled in interfaith seminary i started seeking out spiritual experiences i was you know i was attending different workshops relating to the angels and so forth the animals started coming i was having physical visits from animals i had no idea what was happening um i do now understand a lot about animal symbolism and totems and so forth because of my experiences but um i started doing i just it just was like experience after experience really beautiful heart opening um spiritual experiences has happened that i've written you know two books two books on on those experiences alone so um i think I think what happens is, you know, when we finally, it's in, in addition to reaching out and saying, you know, I need help. And I was, you know, speaking to my angels, really, I need help. I need, you know, like God, universe, whoever the hell you are, you know, it's kind of like that thing, whoever you are, wherever you are, I don't care. Just give me something here. I need some help. Uh, it's one of those situations. Um, and then I, I obviously was taking physical action as well. You know, I was getting myself to these courses and seminary and, and reaching out um, in a physical way and connecting with people and that, and that helped me tremendously. Where in the journey did you write the first book? Cause that was like a massive download. Yeah, yeah, that was one of those things that it was, it was so fascinating. It what and I never had any intention of writing a book. Honest to God, I was the kind of person that if I had to write maybe two or three lines in an email, I'd be like, seriously, <laughs> can we just talk? Because I my fingers are tired. Um, the it was one of those. I was actually a teacher at the time, and it you know as perfect as everything seems to be. It was a night before winter break, so we had a week off, and. I was sleeping, but I was woken up, but I was awake. I was awake, but I was still kind of in, in a state that I wasn't fully awake. But anyway, I was watching myself and the top of my head kind of got lifted off. It was really fascinating. It was like one of those pots with the, like the, the clip at the back that you just lift up, but the, the top mm -hmm. stays on. Mm -hmm. So this, the whole top of my head lifts off and all of these like numbers and codes and symbols just start pouring into my head and I'm watching it. I'm thinking, this is the coolest freaking thing I've ever seen. I have no idea what's happening, but I'm just watching this stuff pour into my head. And, uh, <laughs> It sounds kind of nuts, but it honest, my right hand to God, this is what happened. And as I'm watching it, I'm seeing the entire first book just kind of get downloaded into my head. And I literally get up the next morning and for four straight days, I just sit in bed and I'm just typing. I'm just typing. I can't type fast enough to get this stuff out. And, um, and it couldn't be more perfect because I was on winter break. So I had all the time in the world and the whole book by the end of the week the first full draft of the book was, was complete. Well, I did it in two months and that was phenomenal. So I can't even <laughs> imagine the level of like focus and time that you would need to do it yeah. in that short amount. I did, but I didn't, it wasn't me, but it wasn't, it wasn't mm -hmm. like, I was like, Oh, okay, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to be super focused and organized yep. and yay. I'm great. I was like, I don't even know what the hell is happening, mm -hmm. but I'm typing and it just kept typing and typing. It was, it wasn't me. It really wasn't me. And, you know, people talk about that sometimes and it happens. So it's not like it's, you know, right. It just wasn't anything that I had known about before then. Honestly, I'd never talked to anybody that happened about it. It was really that early on. And I was just yeah. going, I don't know what's happening, but I'm, I'm going with it. <laughs> what was it like to read do. it? Did you, I mean, at, did I you cried. Oh, I um, cried and I cried and I cried the whole four days I was typing it yeah. because it was my story. 
it was my story and it was the animals and I could see what was happening in the animals. I've had a bat, a physical bat in my bedroom three times, like above my face, waking me up. Like this is how the animals were showing up. Like they weren't just like dribbles and dreaming animals. They were showing up in my bedroom, in my face. You know, like, couldn't be more clear, like, and I still didn't understand what was happening the first few times. I was just so unconscious to anything spiritual. Um, So it's, so yeah, you know, it's kind of magical. It's kind of magical. It's kind of exciting. And it's, you know, it's exhausting (laughs) at the same time. So, you know. So you reread your book, then do you have to you have to figure out what to do with it? I mean, most of us have some amount of planning and you just you had none. I had none. And that's what set up that situation. That's why I understand the situation so well because because I had started, you know, kind of reaching out and attending different workshops or whatever, I was familiar with, you know, this much of the spiritual world and I was familiar with this one particular spiritual book publishing company that had a self publishing arm and I just went on sheer faith and you know and just all in at that point because I couldn't get it out fast enough not only physically in the writing of it but in the wanting to share it I could not seem to get it out fast enough I was just that all in I mean I I left my career that that year the end of the school year I walked away I was single (laughs) I was divorced newly divorced two kids staring down college and I'm like "Ah, I'm just don't know what I'm doing, but I have to follow my heart. And I, that was my next question Mm -hmm. because you were working and you said that you stopped working. So you have the divorce, you have two teenage kids, you have this massive download. You come back from a nearly end of your life situation, Mm -hmm. menopause. Let's, let's add insult. Yeah, that didn't help. Yeah. That didn't help. It's not a lot of fun. <laughs> For anyone wondering, anyone out there wondering, it's Did not, not a lot of fun. help. Um, <laughs> like I, I know for certain that with one hot flash, I could power a small country at the very yeah. least. So yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. it was uncomfortable. Yes, that. it is. It's uncomfortable. And it's kind of emotional. It's kind of odd. It's just a, an odd space to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, then, and I wonder, but I wonder, I'll just say this. I wonder sometimes because the depth of my truly of the despair I went to was just, you know, like I said, I mean, for me, it was, you know, like kind of, oh, it's a relationship, get over it to considering ending my life. Yeah. And I know that, you know, our hormones, they have to play a part. And so I guess I would just say to, to others, when you're in the, when you're in it, you're not really realizing what's happening. And, and I don't yeah. believe that this, I believe menopause played a role in it. And I would just simply encourage people that, if they're feeling really bad, I would never discount and say, oh, it's just your hormones, but it's also interconnected. It's also interrelated. And I, and I, I do believe that if I was not hot and heavy in menopause at that time, either I, I may not have maybe felt. So did I pick the perfect time for all this to happen? Absolutely. I don't think I could have written a better script for it all. The perfect storm of what came together. Yeah, no, not that you have a lot of control over that. I mean, you know, menopause isn't over in a week. So it's not like you probably could have avoided that. So you were working as a teacher. You had this Christmas break. Then, okay, you decide to leave your job. Why? And Mm -hmm. what did you decide to do? Because you weren't doing the publishing company yet. That that was after book two. So take me through that. Yeah, I really, and I had really no idea. I just knew that, that I was this wide open hearted person that I was, couldn't think of anything else other than what was happening really in these spiritual experiences. And I just knew that I needed to, I needed to just kind of follow my heart. Um, I enrolled in seminary and I, you know, about a year in or so, I, I started, I started hosting a radio show. Because see, I'm the kind of person that I I don't like to talk about stuff if I don't get it. I'm not just going to blow smoke up your ass. I'm really not. I just can't. I cannot show up that way. And I get really like annoyed when I know somebody's, you know, consciously mm-hmm. doing that. So 
I needed to study. So I was in seminary. I was taking a number of different workshops. I was, and I decided I don't really know what I want to say yet, or if I have anything to say or what this is all about. So I'm going to interview people that have been doing it for a while, people, you know, and I interviewed a bunch of quite actually for a full year every week. Um, you know, some leading spiritual teachers. And I just wanted to know what, just wanted to ask them questions. I just wanted to know what they knew. And that was also part of kind of my education because they could introduce me and the audience to, to their experiences and their work. And, you know, and we, I had some, did some phenomenal interviews with people, but after a year of, of paying to be a radio host and being in seminary and still having mortgage and life and, um, um, you know, college tuition coming up, I was like, well, shoot, you know, I guess I need to get back to the real world because I have to pay for this. I was draining yeah. my retirement account. I basically lived on my retirement account. You know, I did everything everybody says you should not do. I did because I said, well, you know, I, I have to, I have to follow this through. And so it make a long story short, somebody said to me, well, you should be a telesummit host because, you know, you're really good at interviewing people. And I said, what's a telesummit? And they told me what it was. And they said, I could earn money from it. We could sell special offers. And I said, okay, well, let's do that. So we, this is kind of how I just kind of stumbled and bumbled through the first few years of this. And we did eight successful seasons of the telesummit, very successful, wow. again, um, I paid the bills and but what started happening is after eight seasons you know and a hundred something guests um i couldn't i didn't feel like i could continually vet the level of the spiritual teachers that were coming on the show and if i was going to say to somebody hey you should buy this healing session with this person or you should go to a reading with this one or that one um i i wasn't comfortable um putting you know encouraging people to work with other people if I didn't know them well enough and I started not knowing the people well enough and so I put the brakes on and I put the telesummit on a hiatus um because I just because it's you know when you were in any sort of emotional experience in this lifetime you are wide open and again you pray for people on so many levels and especially if people are looking for deeper answers and they think you're going to give them a reading or you're going to give them a healing you're going to do whatever as much actually honest to god as much wonderful things as somebody can do they can also do a, a great amount of damage to other people and you know people don't necessarily talk about that side of it but that side exists and i could not in any consciousness be a part of that and i'm not suggesting that these people that i know people are better out there doing damage i just could not feel comfortable that i knew the people well enough to recommend them to others because then it was out of my control yeah so so that was the beginning of sacred story so it was radio show telesummit the book publishing came online, the podcasting magazine, we have an online course division. It just continued to be an evolution of saying, well, how can I share my divine voice and how can I help others share their wisdom, voices, stories, gifts with others? And so today here we are. And if I could just hold this book up, Yay! I'm excited. Um, this is our new, this is, this is speaking of stories. This is chaos yeah. to clarity. Sacred stories of transformational change. And this is actually one of our brand new books. And this is, I'm in this book. I'm a co-author with Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis. Dr. Bernie Siegel wrote the foreword. Um, these are stories from men and women from around the world um, who have experienced a significant change in their lives and kind of gone through the hero or heroine's journey and come out the other side. And so honestly, what this whole thing has been about what I believe and what I know to this point is it's about, um, for me, experiencing. So it's experiencing the story, connecting through story, not becoming the story. I am mm. not the pain. I'm not the story. It's kind of fun to talk about it to some degree if it helps somebody at this point, but not to identify with the story, but to, to connect through our stories, to inspire others, to help others, to hold somebody else's hand, um, give someone else courage as to whatever part of their story they're in. And that's why this book is so um, 
so incredibly important to me in that it does it does all that and actually more aren't there 30 are there 30 authors mm -hmm. yeah okay yeah. so i love books i know that this is a it didn't, we didn't used to do books this way. It used to be one author writing one story. And now there are compilations where everyone can have a chapter in it. Mm -hmm. And, and then it's so broad spectrum, right? You're everyone who reads it is going to relate to the stories in it. Yeah. So I was so excited when I heard about it because it's, it's, you pretty much did the same thing with that book that I do on the podcast essentially yes. we yeah. have the we same should, we should have a naked podcast book we should talk about that oh i would love about, that actually you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, because you want to highlight the stories of people to make a difference to other people yeah oh absolutely i mean we yeah. have stories in here of, um well you know there are a couple of my stories we have stories of people battling illnesses um, people losing loved ones, people losing children, people being in abusive relationships, people overcoming addiction, uh, people finding love later in life. Um, yeah. <laughs> like just, you yeah. know, like the, we say it's the heart of our shared humanity, the heart and soul of our shared humanity. Yeah. And it is. And, and to what we were talking about before, it's the experiences. You don't even have to have the exact experience, but but you'll find yourself in, in the stories in this yep. book, but it's the emotion that the experience elicits. That is what we need to pay attention to. And it's in the emotion. And, and actually I write on the spirituality of change and how change is a catalyst for our spiritual transformation. And that's absolutely true. I mean, that's, that's what's happened to me and that's what's happening to, you know, literally probably hundreds of thousands of people around the world. And why is that is because, you know, we just kind of do life. You know, we started this interview and I said, you know, I was a quintessential 50 something soccer mom mainstream. I was doing life, you know, and right. it was fine. It was good enough. And then, you know, the experience of, of, you know, my husband saying, well, I don't love you and yada, 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 and, you know, that whole thing you know, turned me upside down, shook me around, dumped me on my bedroom floor. It got my attention. I could not do anything else until I started paying attention. And when I was paying attention, then I needed to, act, I needed to reach out for help. I couldn't do it alone. And when I reached out for help, you know, the opening to the consciousness of who we are and, and all, you know, just, just started coming and it, and it hasn't stopped. And, um, um, you know, people ask me sometimes, Jen, you know, do, would you wish it had never happened? Do you wish you were, you know, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. I wish, I'll be honest. I, I, I wish that I would never trade the experiences and of who I am and what's happening in my world today. But part of my work, honestly, and part of what I hope that this book does and and part of the, the work that you do and everything is that you know there's also the great emotion of joy it doesn't have to be trauma it doesn't have to be pain you know so if we can get if we can help people get to where they're paying attention where they stop their distracting life and they're really opening to the consciousness of who they are their larger magnificent divine selves through joy well yeah. that then I'm all in, you know, and that's where I hope we're going. So now you have this platform, this publishing and media platform that's outstanding mm -hmm. and you have the ability to say, yes, but we stand in integrity mm -hmm. and help people's voices get heard and kind of go through that same process you went through in their own way mm -hmm. and be seen and heard. And, so people can reach out to you if they want mm -hmm. to publish. What about uh, subsequent books like Chaos to Clarity? Well, so it's interesting because since Chaos to Clarity has come out and it's, you know, it's really a new release and stuff, um, it's receiving such incredible feedback and, and responses. And many people were like, I, I want to be in your next book. Yeah. So, um, so I'm not there yet, you know, my co-author Kat is, you know, yeah. she already has a title for it and I'm oh. like, that's great, but uh, I, yeah, I'm just catching up. I'm just getting my breath on this one. Um, so 
I do believe that, yeah, I do believe that there will be more like chaos to clarity um, from us. But I also, what I think is really, um, really important is that, you know, these are sacred stories about transformational change, and, you know, and it's kind of the heart and soul of who sacred stories is. And, and I say it's our shared humanity, but you know, many people resonate with many different types of groups. And, and so like even, I mean, no kidding aside, but like naked podcaster, um, you know, stories or people that resonate with you or, you know, what I would ultimately like to see in addition to certainly more of these, because I think it gives so many people an opportunity uh, to share is other people who would like to talk about having their own multi-author book and what would that look like and how does mm-hmm. that work just to talk you know to contact me and 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 we can talk about it because uh um there really is a magic in this I, i'll just share you know in this book cast of clarity i just have to hold it up again yeah there's people in here there's a woman i think she's 80 something she's never been published she doesn't want to go on any interviews um she just wanted to tell her story. She just wanted, you know, her, she lost her home. She was almost homeless. You know, she was, she was living in a mobile home park. They were, was being bought out. She had, wasn't sure where she was supposed to go, you know, and, and, you know, she figured it out, but she hasn't done one interview and she doesn't want to, but she wanted to tell her story. And, you know, and there's something really beautiful in that. And, um, and I think there's a lot of people with a lot of stories that, you know, should be heard. Amen. Patricia, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. This was great. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thanks. I mean, you pretty much know most of my life story. I feel like we're all, we're all friends now, Jen. <laughs> we so are. That's a whole point. That's a whole point. 